Celebrations be held all over the nation today in honor of Cinco de Mayo. It was on this date in 1862 when the outnumbered Mexican army defeated the invading French forces of Napoleon III at the Battle of Puebla. The Mexican military victory evolved over the years to become what it is today, a celebration, the rich heritage of music, dance, food, and culture. The idea of turning Cinco de Mayo into this big holiday actually came from Mexican-American influencers who wanted something along the same lines as St. Patrick's Day, but for Mexican-Americans. And so they settled on Cinco de Mayo as the day. There are an estimated 21 million Americans of Mexican descent living in the U.S. today. This is your day today. Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, the 2021 Pet Parasite forecast has been released. We'll find out what will be bugging your four-legged family members this spring and summer. Also coming up, a day of prayer and so much more as the community prepares to come together to observe this week's National Day of Prayer. We'll have details. And the scoop on what's happening, programs and events during the month of May at the Hancock Historical Museum, and happy Cinco de Mayo! Last year's celebration was effectively canceled, so this year it's time to make up for lost time while doing a good turn for your favorite local restaurant at the same time. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, May 5th, 2021. In addition to Cinco de Mayo, it is Bike to School Day today. National Museum Lovers Day, National Cartoonists Day, National Hoagie Day, National School Nurse Day, Oyster Day today. It is Revenge of the Fifth. Are we done with the Star Wars references yet? It was May the 4th be with you yesterday and Revenge of the Fifth today. Man. And it is World Math Day. Although something just doesn't add up about that. <laughs> but I'm bum. Where's my rim shot? National Math Day. And it is also today the Great American Grump Out. So, be gone with your grumpy self today. A couple of interesting stories here uh, surrounding the uh, coronavirus pandemic. And uh, a, a lot of people will hear these uh, stories and say, I told you so. The governor of Montana, Greg Gianforte, Republican governor of Montana, announced yesterday that his state will no longer take part in the federal program that gives people $300 a week in extra unemployment benefits because of the pandemic. At the end of June, they will end their participation in that program, citing what he said is a worker shortage in his state, Governor said that unemployed people will instead receive a return-to-work bonus. He says the extra unemployment benefits are an incentive for people not to look for work. And we have seen accusations of that in this state as well, in our own community, in fact. Uh, Under this program, under the uh, program of the Montana, Montana governor, people getting unemployment benefits can get a one-time $1,200 bonus after they have worked for four weeks in a new job. Workers who then leave their jobs after getting that bonus 
will not be eligible for unemployment benefits. Now, I would imagine after a certain time, that would no longer be the case. I mean, you're not locked into that job forever, but it says if you, but you can't go back to work just to collect the bonus and then quit. Uh, Otherwise, you won't get any other unemployment benefits. And that program will run through October. So interesting to see what happens there. But I can see a lot of other states following suit. Um, This is the other, and a lot of people will be happy to see that uh, program and say, hey, we should do that here. This is the opposite of that. You could see it coming. One of the happiest kinds of childhood, uh, one of the happiest kinds of days of childhood is no more for students in the nation's biggest uh, school system. The New York City Department of Education announced yesterday that they are eliminating snow days because the pandemic showed that remote learning is possible for students in the city's public schools. They will now have remote school on what previously would have been snow days. So snow cancellation days, the New York City public school system are a thing of the past. New York in the only city, the uh, news organization Education Week did a survey last November of principals and district leaders and found that 39% have changed snow days to remote learning days and another 32% were considering doing so. And again, we have seen that in this state and even in our own community. A number of uh, schools have gone to remote learning days. Not necessarily every school snow day would be a remote learning day, but... Uh, it is a, a bit of a controversy because uh, some distri- districts are purposely keeping their snow days, even though they could do remote learning, believing that it is a happy tradition that should remain. So discuss amongst yourselves. Uh, just kind of interesting. It's, again, the after effects of the pandemic. As this whole thing winds down, uh, we are starting to see the fallout and it's the these are the answers to the questions that everybody had when all of this started how will this change normal life forever based on what we've been through uh in the uh, pandemic and here are a couple of examples here's another one you know those impulse buys at the supermarket the stuff that's right near the registers the grocery store and pharmacy gum and candy and snack bars and soda and so on over the past year fewer people have been standing in line to pay at the grocery store or any other place for that matter and that means far fewer impulse buys research firm Euromonitor monitor uh, reports that north american sales of gum fell 14 percent by volume last year breath mints were down 15 percent and a lot of folks said well we don't have to worry about breath mints we're not going into work we're just working at home we're not seeing people don't have to worry about but part of it is because those are impulse buys right there at the checkout and you're not standing at the checkout so you're not impulse buying these are all uh, statistics compared with 2019 and industry experts expect that even as things return to normal many will stick with the internet for their weekly shopping so there are concerned uh, they're concerned about these makers of these impulse buy products 
may really have a, a tough time rebounding following the pandemic. Uh, David Nolan is the vice president of Shopper Insights at the Hershey Company, says the pandemic hastened the world's pivot to online shopping by three to five years, but snack manufacturers and candy makers are starting to come up with ways to ensure Americans still make those impulse buys. For example, Hershey is experimenting with an add a Hershey's button at the end of the ordering experience and is working with manufacturers to find easy ways to add a quick snack to curbside deliveries. So if you do your online shop, the next time you do your online shopping, you may notice that one day soon there'll be a button. Hey, would you like to add a candy bar to your order? Hey, would you like to order, add some breath mints to do or a pack of gum to your order? And that is the reason why. It would be the electronic, the digital equivalent of an impulse buy right there at checkout. Interesting. And here's uh, one other story about how the pandemic has impacted the lives of everyone. Now there is talk among relationship experts and family attorneys that... Let me preface this. There's a story in the news today that a predicted baby boom because of the pandemic has not happened yet. There was a prediction that when everybody went into lockdown last March, April, May, that nine months later, nine months to a year following the heart, uh, height of the pandemic, we would see this baby boom has not happened, at least not to this point. And this is instead now what people are thinking about. Talk among relationship experts and family attorneys that divorce rates will actually spike post-pandemic when the courts are open and operating again. So the exact opposite of a baby boom, I guess. They say that some couples have been stuck at home and had to address issues or confront subjects that they were previously able to avoid by engaging in their regular routines. And they had no excuses anymore. Um, plus the overall stresses of the pandemic, financial, emotional, and physical are forcing some people to take a very hard look at their life situation. And that would include their partners, their uh, spouse. This is backed up by data from China where divorce rates spiked in March of 2020 after couples emerged from strict lockdowns. In addition, a study the University of Washington demonstrated that divorces usually increase after the summer months or after holidays when couples are together for longer periods of time. On top of all of this, a neuropsychologist notes that many of her clients already knew they had issues in their marriage before COVID-19 and their problems only got worse during the lockdown. So while COVID-19 may have had a big impact on relationships, it could also be the last straw for many that were on the rocks before the pandemic ever began. Hmm. So again, uh, just interesting stories that I happen to see uh, all one right after the other on the Newswire this morning as I was perusing the day's news. I was like, right here, we, we asked at the beginning of all of this how this might change society forever. Starting to see more and more indications of that. The closer we get to getting back to normal. Normal will never be normal again. Here are some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast, partly sunny today with the high around 60, partly cloudy tonight, a low around 40. Marathon Petroleum is reporting a net loss of $242 million 
for the first quarter of 2021. That compares to a net loss of $9.2 billion for the first quarter a year earlier. President and CEO Michael Hennigan said while the industry continued to struggle with the effects of the pandemic in the first quarter, they are now beginning to see increases in global mobility and demand for transportation fuels. Hennigan also said they have continued their strategic effort to reposition the company for long-term success, both through the pending Speedway sale and investments in renewables projects. Get more on our website. A crash is under investigation in Kaleida in which a truck hit a power pole and then crashed through the wall of the house. Luckily, nobody was in the home on West Main Street at the time of the crash. The truck and home sustained extensive damage. The driver was taken to a hospital for his injuries. See pictures on our website. A new bill to crack down on distracted driving would make it illegal to drive in Ohio while holding a phone or electronic device and make distracted driving a primary driving offense. That would mean police would not need another reason to pull drivers over before enforcing the ban on holding devices. The measure incorporates many elements of a proposal that Republican Governor Mike DeWine unsuccessfully pushed earlier this year. Onan's Tracy Townsend reporting that the bill allows exceptions for emergency responders, and it also includes a one-swipe exception for people to answer incoming calls and then disconnect them. You can get more details on the bill on our website. Dozens of additional Hometown Hero banners went up this week along Main Street in Findlay. The Hometown Hero banners in downtown Findlay was really something I had seen in other communities and I thought would be a great tribute to those who have served or are serving our country. Mayor Christina Mearns says the banners include active, retired, and deceased service members and line Main Street from Lima Street up to Center. See video on our website. And get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. We'll start off our ongoing Keeping the Faith series this morning and a local highlight, uh, the community coming together uh, to observe this week's National Day of Prayer tomorrow. And joining us uh, are uh, two of the organizers of all of the community events here, Cheryl Larbus, uh, Tammy Moorhart. Thank you very much for uh, dropping by. We certainly appreciate it. So uh-huh. uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the, the National Day of Prayer is actually uh, tomorrow. Uh, right. And uh, the you actually uh, had the uh, first event, uh, I guess, what, this past <laughs> weekend, right? The actual kickoff, yes, yeah. the actual kickoff yeah. was uh, Sunday, Sunday afternoon. So this is the the event that um, is the evening event. And it is a, get excited, Chris, because we have, God is going to show up and show off. Let me tell you, we are, if you will, unframing a bit of the National Day of Prayer. Yes, we're praying. Yes, we're doing all of that. Mm-hmm. But there is so much more. It is the heart of the people. And I think that's what we're called. We're called close and near to the people. Just like Jesus. He walked, he shared, and that's what we want to do. We want to share the heart of Jesus with the people. And uh, in addition to the uh, event uh, Mm -hmm. that will be happening tomorrow uh, downtown, you're doing a uh, Bible reading. Right yes. through the yes. uh, course of, the, I mean, it's not just a day of prayer. Right. This is an ongoing Absolutely. thing for like what, two right. or three days. Yes. Yeah. And so <laughs> things have been different with the whole COVID thing. Sure. Last year, <sighs> uh, Renee LaGuire, who has been part of Thank this you, forever Renee. and ever, that she always organized it and what an amazing job she did. Mm-hmm. But now this year, we've got people reading the Bible remotely as well as in the tent by the municipal building. 
So it is an amazing 90 hours of Bible reading. 90 hours. How yes. many people does it take to, to do this? Because not one a person village. reading you know, 90. Yeah, it, it takes a village to read the Bible. That's right. Uh, for 90 hours, because one person, that's a lot of work for one person. Yes. How many people, uh, you've got volunteers to do this. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the best part, too, you, we have a website now, Chris. This is so exciting. You can go online to pray to see. So it's P-R-A-Y number two and the letter C dot com. Mm-hmm. And you can go into that website and you can see everything that's going on. Yeah. You can sign up for the 90-hour reading. And not only, some people are like, well, what do I read? We even give you the scripture. Yeah. If you pick a time, mm-hmm. there's a scripture attached to it mm-hmm. or a chapter, if you will. Okay. So you don't have to wonder, yeah. what are you going to read? Yeah. You know? So, so you can plan ahead and yeah. work on your pronunciations because those are sometimes <laughs> uh, a little challenging. Right. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> There, there aren't a whole little, a uh, whole lot of Joes or Freds right, in, the, uh, exactly. in the Bible. There's uh, go for Leviticus. Yeah, really. they're, yes. they're, tough. <laughs> they're a little tougher. Uh, but it is, uh, it is terrific. And and how cool is it to have the community come together oh, this uh, for is this? Amazing. I mean, be able to get the uh, volunteers and, and do this. Such an important, uh, such an important uh, day and such an yes. important thing to to do. Remind us uh, about uh, you know thinking about our faith. Right. Absolutely. Amen. And and this was put on Tammy's heart. That she had an idea that started long before National Day of Prayer. That's where this thing is so much different. And mm-hmm. Tammy, so tell them what, what you've oh, done. Oh, my goodness. Well, let me tell you, God showed up. We have, if you go on that website, we mm-hmm. have, and I say we because it took right. others. I am not taking the credit. The Lord is, <laughs> I'm going to give it over to him. Amen. Because... We have a video. We have a we have a four minute and forty four second video that is put together with high quality. Mm-hmm. Um, Gideon Fisher, we love you. Um, Courtney Morris, you are amazing. We had a flash mob. Um, the children were dancing, and they were so excited to dance for Jesus. So we were remotely. We were going through the city of Finley. We had three actors. Randy Greeno was out there. I love him. I mean, anything that we asked, they're like, Mm -hmm. what can we do? Mm. So I think that was the most important part. So yes, to get back to that question, yes, we have a video um, explaining the the pre-advertisement for National Day of Prayer, what is mm-hmm. it? Right. And it, what should it be? It's the heart of the people. It's when we come together. Mm-hmm. Not when I go mm-hmm. to pray for Jesus. It's when we come together. Yes. God moves. That is that is really the heart of the idea of the National Day of Prayer is yes. this collective yes. uh, prayer. I mean, you know, we all do it. Hopefully, we, we all do mm-hmm. it every day uh, <laughs> in our own way. But to come together collectively yes. and do that makes a, a, a big statement. You mentioned in, in addition to the Bible reading, the actual uh, physical uh, ceremony, uh, right. if you will, uh, happening tomorrow downtown at Dorney Plaza, right? Right. And we do have a noon that's after the, the Bible reading okay. and then our event in the evening. There again, the Lord has just switch this upside down (laughs) because we have i i met a a waitress at cracker barrel who had an amazing story and it's like lord you don't want this to be like any other one you don't want just pastors up there 
reading and people just walking by and say, what does that have to do with me? Right. So we've got actual people who have these wonderful testimonies of how Jesus Mm. changed their lives. And our pastors are going to be down on the ground. Wow. In the crowd. Going to turn that around. Yes. Those are very very powerful words when people can share their own stories. So that should be uh, really good. A lot of uh, uh, special speakers and and so on. Uh, This is a two-hour event. Uh, Starts at 6 o'clock tomorrow, right? Tomorrow evening. Uh, again, Dorney Plaza is the uh, is the place, and this is open to everyone. everyone. Yes. Uh, there's no uh, pre qualification. Uh, right. This is no. something. No. It should be noted that the National Day of Prayer, and I, I want to throw this out here too, is as far as the National Prayer uh, Day of Prayer designation uh, is uh, for all denominations mm-hmm. of yes. all faiths. Uh, right. However, it is that you uh, worship. Uh, mm-hmm. the, this is your day. I That's mean, this right. is the, the day to. Uh, uh, to celebrate the oh. creator. Chris, if I will, we can I share, we have, I love our mayor. We have an amazing mayor. She's going to give a proclamation for the day of mm-hmm. National Day of Prayer. But we have a praying mayor. We have a mayor that is that seeks God's face. And so what a city. And she wants her city to be saturated under prayer. So when I when we set this up with the application, she's like, yes, whatever you need, you know, whatever you need. So we are able to shut down the two lanes in front of the courthouse. Those will be shut down just so people know that traffic won't be running that direct, you know, those two lanes. Now the other side will be running. Right. But we have a trailer coming in for our praise and worship band. We've got, you know, God has really opened up this. This it's it's, uh, it's going to be exciting. We have, yeah. don't want to miss it. Revive Ohio, the chairman of Revive Ohio, is going to be the MC. MC, and that he is actually bringing a portable baptismal, baptismal truck. Oh wow! So so, so hang yeah. on, Finley. it's going to be hang uh, on. It's going to be quite the uh, quite <laughs> the event uh, tomorrow evening at six p.m. Of course, the uh, uh, Bible reading continues. Yes, uh, yes, but Can the you still uh, sign up. Uh, the, yes, uh, please. Uh, actual uh, National Day of Prayer event, 6 to 8, uh, at the uh, courthouse at Dorney Plaza uh, downtown tomorrow. The uh, Day of Prayer and so much more as the community comes together to observe the National Day of Prayer. Again, Cheryl Larbus, uh, Tam- Tammy Moorhart with us uh, this morning. Ladies, thanks very much for dropping oh, by. We thank you it. so much thank for giving us that opportunity. We've got a link, up, by the way, on our webpage for the uh, official uh, Hancock County uh, web- National Day of Prayer website. So you can go to goodmornings.net to learn more. Well, certainly after a, a difficult year for the restaurant industry, uh, this is really cool for Cinco de Mayo. Chefs Rick Martinez and uh, Sola El Wiley have teamed with Corona to help celebrate the holiday and the new Cinco for Good campaign looking to support the long-term recovery of our favorite local restaurants to boot. And joining us now to uh, tell us more about this, our Chef Rick, Chef Sola, so first of all, talk about the uh, celebration for uh, Cinco de Mayo, your celebration uh, this year after, you know, last year, obviously, we didn't get to celebrate the way we would uh, normally love to. So how are you making up for lost time? <laughs> well, the first thing I'm going to do is I am not going to cook. This is probably the first Cinco de Mayo that I am not picking up my knife. I am going to get on infatuation, find a local restaurant to support, and order in some amazing tacos, crack open a Corona, and celebrate virtually with Sola. So talk a little bit about this uh, this team up with uh, Corona on this uh, initiative to help out local restaurants at, uh, as they sort of get into this recovery period here. Well, while the country is starting to reopen for indoor dining, our favorite restaurants are still struggling and need our help to recover. 
So to encourage support for local restaurants, Corona has partnered with Postmates and The Infatuation to help people discover amazing restaurants in their area as patrons. But additionally, Corona Beer is also donating, donating an additional $1 million to the National Restaurant Association Educational Foundation, which is helping to rebuild the restaurant industry and create opportunities for restaurant workers from all backgrounds. It is such an awesome program. Such a simple thing to do will mean so much for an industry uh, that has struggled so much over the uh, past year or so. How does the uh, Cinco for Good campaign work? Uh, How do people uh, become a part of this and and get involved? Well, the hashtag Cinco for Good, it's an initiative brought to you by Corona to encourage people to order from local restaurants. So if you want to get involved, order from your local favorite restaurant, take a photo, share it on social media with the hashtag, and, you know, we can all enjoy the Cinco de Mayo together virtually. That is absolutely awesome. Again, uh, just a reminder uh, of something simple that we can do that will uh, have such a lasting impact. Uh, Just add to the celebration uh, as we uh, come out of this uh, long, tough year for everyone. Uh, Again, uh, Chef Rick Martinez and Chef Sola L. Wiley with us this morning talking about the Cinco for Good campaign. And again, where do we learn more about it? Corona USA on Instagram, or you can check out the website coronausa.com to find out how you can think of for good. And also enter to win a single party pack, which has a lot of fun things like a taco loungewear set, pinata, so you can think of for good and have a really good time. <laughs> that is awesome stuff. We'll link it up on our webpage. Guys, thanks very much for taking the time. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Well, with warm weather season here, that means more time outdoors for both ourselves and our pets. And that means increased potential exposure to ticks and mosquitoes carrying parasitic diseases, which can be harmful to us and even deadly to them. So joining us from the Companion Animal Parasite Council are veterinarians Dr. Craig Pryor and Dr. Kaysen Pulaski. You issue a forecast on pet parasite risk annually and then an updated state-by-state forecast each month on your website. Tell us a little bit about these reports and what the outlook is for the spring and summer in Ohio. Well, so um, our organization, the Companion Animal Parasite Council, we're a group of veterinarians, veterinary staff, and, and parasitologists, and we really are the, the nation's leading expert on these parasitic diseases that affect dogs and cats. So this will include diseases like heartworm, which is transmitted by mosquitoes, and, and Lyme disease, which is going to be transmitted by ticks. So every year we release these annual, our annual forecast, and it's, a, it's a, essentially a very incredibly large data set we access, um, and we model the forecast for these different parasitic diseases. And then we take that information, and we've created a 30-day forecast that you as a pet owner can check out so that you can understand in your own county what that parasitic disease risk is looking like, um, as well as maybe where you're going to be traveling this spring and summer. Yeah, Chris. That what the what is showing this year, we know that parasites are dynamic and ever-changing, and they're on the move. And so what we're seeing is that Lyme disease is moving into Ohio uh, from the northeast. Ehrlichiosis, another tick-borne disease, is moving up from the south into southern Ohio. And then we're also seeing the rise of heartworm. And heartworm is spread by mosquitoes, but we also know that there's been so many uh, animals have been relocated from shelters and rescues during mm-hmm. covid and uh, they're coming out of the southeast, and as they come up to Ohio and relocated there, they bring hot one with them as well. So the 
uh, the, the maps are at petdiseasealerts.org, and that's where you can see uh, the risk at the, at the forecast at the county level. And if it's in your county, it's happening in your backyard. And your veterinarian is your local expert. So it's really important you talk to your veterinarian about how best to protect your pet because ultimately, if we're protecting the pet, we're helping to protect the family. Yeah, I really want to underscore uh, that point that in addition to the uh, statewide uh, forecast, you break it down at the county level because it's helpful to know, uh, especially as people uh, are traveling, getting back to traveling uh, this year, the statewide risk may be slightly different depending on where in the state you are. So this is uh, certainly worth checking out. I was looking at uh, some of the uh, data uh, from uh, our state and, and our county and more and we'll have that linked up what are the things that we can do as pet owners to protect our pets from these parasites yeah so the number one thing is going to be making sure that you bring your pet in every year to see your local vet so this includes all of the pets at home so not just the dog that might sleep in the bed but maybe that outside kitty cat that you you know feed so making sure that we're bringing all of our pets in to see the vet at least once a year and as dr pryor mentioned your vet is going to be the local expert on the disease risk in your area so bringing those pets in every year and making sure that we're testing our pets for these diseases because fortunately most of these we can test for just in the clinic so bringing your pets in, testing, and then keeping them, all of your pets, on year-round prevention. This is going to include 12 months of heartworm prevention, as well as year-round flea and tick control. And then in your area there in Ohio, you may just need to talk to your veterinarian about whether or not the Lyme vaccine is going to be a good choice for your dog. Now, uh, specifically with respect to uh, ticks, if we do find a tick on our pet, what is the best course of action? to remove that tick and you need to use some tweezers or some other appliance to get as close to the skin as you can so you can pull the mouth parts out of the tick as well as the whole tick. And if you don't think you can do that, then uh, take it to your veterinarian. And, you know, if you're finding ticks on your pet, then you need to be talking to your veterinarian about which products to use to best protect your pet so that they don't get ticks. Absolutely. And are there any Uh, early warning signs of a parasitic infection that we should watch for in our pets. Again, to underscore what we're saying, need to uh, be on the medication, need to uh, have the vaccinations if that's uh, indicated uh, and and so on. But are there early warning signs of uh, an infection that we should watch for in our pets just in case uh, we miss something along the way? Right, right. Well, you know, you're going to be your best at the best advocate for your pet because you know them better than anyone else does. So anytime you've noticed any type of change, maybe in behavior, if you start to notice some GI upset, right? So maybe we do have some vomiting or some diarrhea, or maybe if you just notice general, um, what we would consider like lethargy, right? If they all of a sudden just seem more exhausted, maybe they're getting worn out faster, maybe they're not as hungry as they used to be. These are all type signals that can indicate that maybe something else is going in, going on and really, really make sure to get that your pet in um, as soon as possible to see your vet. And a lot of scratching could indicate a flea infestation. Mm. It could be something as simple as that. Yeah. Uh, I, just from a personal experience, years and years ago, before there were heartworm medications, uh, we had a dog that contracted heartworms. One of the first cases uh, in our area that our veterinarian had even seen. And uh, I can I can tell you, it is uh, very 
uh, lengthy treatment, very expensive treatment. So uh, again, prevention, the prevention that we have now is much better than the alternative. I can tell you from, from personal experience in our Absolutely. family. And, uh, it's, and the prevention is extremely cost effective. Right. And many of the preventives get multiple parasites, not just heartworms, can get lots of other parasites as well. So uh, you get very, very broad pre- uh, protection as well. So very important as we come up on uh, flea and tick uh, season, parasite season. Again, from the Companion Animal Parasite Council veterinarians, Dr. Craig Pryor, Dr. Kaysen Pulaski, where do we get more information? We mentioned the forecast, the maps, uh, where folks can see all of that data. So our website is petdisealerts.org. That's where you can see the 30-day forecast at the county level. And remember, if it's at the county level, it's in your backyard. And then talk to your veterinarian because they're the local experts. And by protecting your pet, you're helping to protect your family. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update of the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. A couple of uh, interesting stories uh, from the airport. Uh, this this is a kid that basically lived the dream of every small child who has ever visited the airport. It happened on Saturday. Police say a nine-year-old boy made his way onto the conveyor belt baggage handling system at the Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport. As a group of about 20 people were checking bags for a trip that they were taking together, the kid hopped up on the conveyor belt, and apparently the uh, staff, uh, the uh, airline, were otherwise preoccupied checking everybody's bags and uh, didn't notice it. Uh, Nobody in the group noticed until the uh, boy uh, uh, was, they turned around and the boy was gone. And uh, they suddenly realized that he had jumped on the conveyor belt for the baggage system. They sprang into action. Police were able to find the boy in less than five minutes. A source with knowledge of the baggage system says the incident raises serious safety and security concerns. (laughs) I would guess so. The airport spokesperson says the incident will likely lead to a review of baggage system security safeguards. (laughs) Because some nine-year-old hopped on the uh, baggage claim. Hey, you know what? Uh, it's cheaper to check your kid <laughs> than it is to buy him a seat on the plane. And this kid proved that it's possible. <clears throat> Elsewhere, just sometimes really weird things, crazy things happen at the airport. Allegheny County authorities in Pennsylvania say a man named Harry Griffith drove an airport maintenance truck through the glass doors of a moving walkway and hit a cement pillar in a nearby parking lot on Friday... They say the man then jumped out of the truck and attempted to run away, uh, followed by an airport employee. Mr. Griffith reportedly gained access to the truck after an employee parked it to collect trash from bins near the uh, airport terminal. Uh, Mr. Griffith got cuts on his arms and legs from the crash and was charged with criminal mischief, among other things. Stole an airport maintenance truck. Drove it through the airport. Apparent, no apparent reason for the uh, incident, other than you just thought it would be a fun thing to do. Weird things happening at the airport. Some sanitation workers in New Jersey uh, being hailed, uh, hailed for going above and beyond. They spent an hour and a half going through the contents of a garbage truck to help a woman find her wedding ring and her wallet. Ruth Watson tells local news reporters her 10-year-old son thought the bag that contained her valuables was trash, so he took it out to the curb with the rest of the trash. She uh, 
soon discovered that uh, her wedding ring and her wallet were missing, figured out what uh, happened. She said she couldn't explain how she felt when she realized the trash had been picked up. Uh, thanks to Ramon Nazario, Alfredo Perez, and Paul Deola, the uh, sanitation workers who went through the truck, digging through the garbage to find the bag, she uh, now has her ring back on her finger. I bet she doesn't put it in a bag like that. Or she doesn't have the kids take out the trash anymore. That's... Kids, no, don't get any ideas. That's not the way to uh, get out of the chore of taking out the trash. Take my mom's wedding ring out to the trash, then they'll never ask me to do it again. Now it doesn't work that way. Um, an internet story here. An Instagram influencer in California is facing charges over claims she falsely reported an attempted kidnapping. Now, this was really dumb. I mean, this, well, it's dumb to try and fake, fake a kidnapping anyway. But Katie Sorensen was charged with uh, two misdemeanors of knowingly giving a false report of a couple allegedly trying to kidnap her children. She claimed that a Hispanic man and woman followed her into a store back in December of last year and tried to swipe her kids. But here's what makes this really stupid. Uh, police got a hold of the surveillance video and nothing was there. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty easy to disprove a report when there's security footage that shows nothing. So. <laughs> kind of dumb. Didn't think that there would be a security camera, apparently, but there was. She was busted. And how crazy is this story? A 47-year-old woman who was missing for months has been found alive living in a tent in Utah County, Utah, um, telling officials she foraged for grass and moss to survive. Officials believe the woman, who was weak and had lost weight, when found on Monday, chose to stay in the Diamond Fork area over the last few months of her own volition, according to the Utah County Sheriff's Office. Over the, uh, over the course of several months, efforts were made to identify and contact family uh, without uh, success. Detectives did make contact with this woman's former co-workers, but they did not get any information that suggested where this woman might be. For months, they've been looking for her. They did, however, find information that suggested the woman might struggle with mental health challenges. Search and rescue crews uh, looked for her back in December after finding her abandoned car and camping equipment. On Sunday, this is crazy how they found her finally. On Sunday, a sheriff's office sergeant and other searchers returned to Diamond Fork to look for her. They launched a drone to do an aerial search. And something went wrong with the drone, and it crashed. So they had to go look for the drone. When they found the drone, they came across a tent, and inside was the missing woman. <laughs> so had the drone not cat crashed, they might still be looking for her. It was just serendipity. Uh, the uh, sergeant and the drone pilot walked into the hills to retrieve the drone, and lo and behold, they came across a tent, and inside was the missing woman. She had a small amount of food with her and access to water in a nearby river, officials said. Deputies took the woman to a local hospital for a mental health evaluation. The sheriff's office said while many people might choose to not live in the circumstances and conditions this woman did, she did nothing against the law. And so no charges be filed. 
they're not going to charge her for you know the uh, search and rescue operations because everybody thought legitimately that she had gone missing but uh, uh in the future she might choose to return to the same area and resources were made available to her should she decide to use them crazy story i just what really caught my eye was the fact that had the drone not cra- not crashed they probably would still be looking for her glad she's okay though missing for several months just living in a tent all all the time there you go that is uh, today's broken news report this update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service more or less of hancock county veteran services we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming Ready for some summer fun and adventure? Get registered for the Boy Scout Adventure Camps at Camp Barry in Finley. It's open to boys and girls entering first through fifth grade. Join them for up to 11 weeks of themed activities, swimming, fishing, archery, and more. The Boy Scout Adventure Camps run from 8 a.m. to 4.15 p.m. daily with an extended day option, busing, and discounts available. Register and get more information online at blackswampbsa.org. This message provided by WFIN. And now, your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. And this was the story uh, that uh, I I saw that kind of led to uh, this. Uh, A government watchdog is going to look at the Pentagon's handling of UFO reports. The Defense Department's Inspector General said on Monday that it will determine the extent to which the agency has taken action regarding unidentified aerial phenomena, is how they put it. The probe comes as a number of agencies are set to give unclassified reports to Congress next month. A task force on unidentified aerial phenomena was created last year after the Pentagon released videos captured by service members of unidentified flying objects. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean little green men from outer space. Uh, We don't know that they're aliens because they're unidentified hence the term unidentified they could be just about anything but a new survey does reveal that one in five people fear that the earth will be invaded by aliens before the year 2068 (laughs) overall half of the adults who took part in the survey believe in the existence of aliens and that first contact with alien life forms will occur sometime in the next 50 years. And they don't believe that the Martians will have good intentions either. 22% in the survey are worried for their lives in the event of an invasion. But 71% of believers believe that Earth has already been visited by aliens at some point in history. So of those who believe in aliens in the first place, Nearly three out of four believe that we've already been visited by aliens. I mean, hey, I saw E.T. Almost 75% of the respondents believe that governments across the globe are hiding information about detection of or contact with alien life forms. In addition, two in three adults agree that governments should have a plan in place for first contact with otherworldly beings. I would certainly hope that there would be a plan in place. I, I would have to agree with that. I mean, as as unlikely as I believe it is, you should still prepare just in case. <laughs> you know, you don't have to spend a whole lot of time on it, but you should have a general idea of how you're going to handle it if it were to happen. 
When asked what they think will happen if the government learned of an impending alien attack, 58% said the government would probably try to keep the information secret to, apo- to avoid public panic. Conversely, about a quarter of respondents believe the government would actually come out and warn people. But I, I have to say I, I would go with the they would keep it quiet because, I mean, what could you do? You know, I mean, why tell you about something that's going to happen if you can't do anything about it anyway? It's not like we can leave Earth to avoid the invasion. I mean, what precautions could we take? What would you do if there were, in fact, an alien invasion? The survey goes on to find that 46% would join a resistance group in the event of an alien invasion, while 20% say they would leave that battle up to others. One in five would say, no, thanks. You go fight them. I'm just going to go hide. (laughs) And overall, just 23% in this survey believe that humanity could successfully defend itself against alien attackers. That's probably why 20% would say, we'll leave that up to someone else. I ain't going to (laughs) die. You're not going to win anyway. 23% say that we could successfully defend ourselves against alien attackers. Sadly, Half of respondents believe that an alien invasion would mean the end of the human race as we know it. (laughs) So way to to wrap up this uh, on a positive note. To finish up the morning today, I want to uh, check in with Sarah Sisser at the Hancock Historical Museum. Get the update on everything that's going on in the month of May. Hard to believe that we're into the month of May already, but here we are, and you've got a number of things slowly starting to get back to normal at the museum, right? That's right. So our brown bag lecture, we have, of course, monthly, the first Thursday of every month. So tomorrow we have on tap at noon, um, Jerry's sister. So you'll recognize the name. He's <laughs> mm. Any any relation there? A little he nepotism is. going on? Yes. <laughs> well, it's a family affair at the museum. Um, this is my father, and mm-hmm. he uh, retired from teaching at the high school level. He taught film and literature and television production for over 30 years. So he's always been sort of a self-professed um, classic movie buff. He mm-hmm. also helps to facilitate our classic movie nights at the museum. And so he's going to be giving a presentation, and this will actually be the third um, sort of iteration of this series of presentations he's been giving over the last few years. He's going to be talking about pre-code Hollywood. Um, So it's Mm. really just a brief period of time um, in motion pictures right after they put sound into moving pictures and before the Hayes Code was put in place. So um, movies were particularly scandalous at that time, so Mm -hmm. he'll be talking a little bit about that. Scandalous by those standards of the day. Well, even kind of by our standards, to be honest with you, it's interesting to see um, what what was popular at the time pre, mm-hmm. you know, before they were really um, required to comply with, with the Hayes Code. So yeah. he's going to be showing um, some great old movie clips and talking quite a bit about that. Um, it's really a, an area of passion for him, those yeah. classic films. For those who are not familiar with the, uh, with the Hayes Code, I mean, that was kind of the standards of the uh, industry that they imposed on themselves, the quote-unquote standards of decency. Right. Uh, and a lot of people know the example of uh, In Gone with the Wind when – uh, Rep Butler says, "I don't give a damn." That was pretty. Uh, that was pushing the envelope yes, at the time. Yes. Uh, but the, there was a reason why those codes were implemented in the first place, and yeah. this kind of goes into that. And a lot of the movies of that era, there's just like a lot of um, sexual innuendo and mm-hmm. double entendres. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Things that are. It's just interesting to see um, 
the standards of, yeah. the, of the time. By the by, today we kind of make fun of the of the Hayes Code, but when you look pre that before that in that era, you can see why it got developed or why it got introduced in the first place. Yes, so. and so for folks who have seen um, some of the other presentations my father has given, he's really started from the very beginning of mm-hmm. moving pictures um, through si- the silent film era and now talking about this pre-code Hollywood. So I'm sure there's more to come. Again, this yeah. is an area of passion for him. <laughs> he, he really enjoys it and he's a great speaker. So uh, we're, all, is... we're happy to have him tomorrow. Um, we are having folks come into the museum to see the presentation in mm-hmm. person, but mm-hmm. we are limiting attendance in person, of course, to comply with some social distancing. Right. So we ask people to please call and make a reservation. It is free to attend, um, but you can call uh, the museum at 419-423-4433 to make your reservation. Or if you're not comfortable coming in person, if you'd like to watch via Zoom, you can do that as well. Again, we just need you to make a reservation so that we can send you uh, the link to attend. Simple as that. Then uh, coming up this weekend, uh, obviously Mother's Day and... Uh, you're a mom, so you're yes. doing this up big. <laughs> we are. So, um, of course, we know people might have plans for Mother's Day, might be taking mom out to brunch. But in the afternoon, if you're looking for something to do with your children, with your grandchildren, we'd love to have you come to the museum. Just $1 admission. Moms will get in free. We'll have lots of activities and crafts for kids. Moms will get a free flower. Um, we'd just love to have you come and see some of the new exhibits and uh, spend your afternoon at the museum. Very cool. And check out the uh, lo- love letters uh, display. That's, That's exactly right. Goes yeah. Right uh, into the same part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So that is uh, on on Sunday, on On Mother's Day? On Sunday, on May 9th from 1 to 4. All right. And uh, then, of course, classic movie night. Since we're talking about movies anyway, you got another classic movie night coming up. We do, and this is one of my favorites. This month, May 21st, again, free and open to the public, starting at 7 p.m., we'll be screening The Poseidon Adventure. Mm. Um, Of course, the original Poseidon Adventure, the better one. Mm -hmm. Um, So join us for that. Free. Uh, We do want you to make a reservation, though, because, again, we're taking limited attendance in person, uh, but a great film, and we'll have some uh, refreshments to offer as well. One of those uh, original big budget uh, disaster uh, flicks. Yes, and and I uh, think even appealing to a younger audience. I know my daughter is excited to attend. She's seen it before. That's kind of a neat favorite. It is a neat film. Uh, A couple of uh, things real quickly uh, coming up in June uh, to kind of preview a little bit. We'll talk a little bit more about them as we get closer. Uh, But you do have a couple of special events in June, right? We do. We're starting to slowly come back to some of those events. And Mm -hmm. we are going to be kicking off our our, class. cocktail our signature cocktail competition that Mm -hmm. we've had a couple of years in a row last year we had it strictly as a passport event Um, the year before it was in person and so this year we're doing both we're going to do a vip kickoff in person uh, with some of the best bartenders in town um, have they create a signature cocktail inspired by history you can come to the event at the museum in june and uh, taste the cocktails and and vote for your favorite and then we'll be having a passport for the rest of the summer where you can visit the different locations try out the cocktails and vote Awesome. So uh, look forward to that. And again, we'll get a little bit more information as we get closer. Uh, again, the museum is open uh, this Sunday, especially for moms. But what are the uh, hours for those who would like to visit? Sure. We're back to our regular hours, Wednesday through Friday, 10 to 4, Sundays 1 to 4. And of course, always visit us on our website for more information about upcoming events, HancockHistoricalMuseum.org. Sarah Sisser of the Hancock Historical Museum with us this morning. Sarah, thanks very much. Thanks, Chris. And that is our podcast edition for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program, of course. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow, a year ago, there were fears that the pandemic's economic fallout could drive millions into bankruptcy. 
But a new study finds that far fewer Americans than expected have experienced serious financial hardship. Good news indeed. We'll take a closer look at the numbers. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.